Over the last few Sundays, as most of you are aware, we have been steadily working our way through the book of 1 Peter. And today our scripture reading is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. If you're watching from home and you have a Bible handy, please follow with us in our reading this morning. Also, if you're watching for the first time or are perhaps here for the first time, on Sunday mornings we are always going to open up the Word of God and study it together. And I'll explain why in the course of our time together this morning. So we're coming to 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. The Apostle Peter writes these words. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Last week I was sent the following image and I wanted to put it up and to ask you one question. Look closely at it and tell me why it's funny. Now it's going to take some of you about 30 seconds to get there, but if it, oh, there we are, some of you are getting it. I can see nods and smiles uh, between couples. Some of you at home are still working on it, but that's okay. Now, it's always embarrassing for me on a Sunday morning when I have to explain why something is funny. But this is a little tricky, so let me explain. The question is this, what is different from the top image and wording to the bottom image and the letter? At the top is two bears. And you spell bears, B-E-A-R. Someone else has just got it. There we are. The penny's dropping. You spell bears, B-E-A-R-S. And in the bottom, they have no ears, and therefore it's just B. Or if you're under five, B. That's why it's funny. And if you have to explain it, it's even funnier. And so my point this morning in all of this silliness is simply this. Sometimes on Sunday mornings, we come to passages of Scripture that are difficult and challenging. And we look at them and we find them hard to understand. But usually if we pause long enough and stop and read carefully and prayerfully 
and consider exactly what they're telling us and how we apply it to our lives, then the penny drops. And then we get it. And then we understand what it's saying to us. All too often I've discovered in my own experience, if I'm rushing through a passage, I never get the blessing of what it fully means. And so I find myself having to slow down, take a deep breath, Look intently, prayerfully, carefully. What is this passage saying? And so this morning, as we open up the scripture this morning, we will do what we've always do on Sunday mornings, is that we will spend time in God's word. Because not only does it tell us, as Shelton mentioned earlier, about the holiness of God and the love of God and the grace of God and his character and his attributes... But it also encourages us to take those biblical principles that we're reading about and apply them to our lives. And this morning we're coming to another passage in this epistle that is incredibly challenging. Actually, the passage itself is not difficult to understand. It's not complicated or complex. It's not nuanced. But in fact, it's clear. It's the application of it that we have difficulty with. And so as we come to this passage this morning, I trust and pray that as we learn these biblical principles and apply them to ourselves in a 21st century setting, you'll discover God speaking to you and empowering you and enabling you to live out your faith each day. Sometimes on Sunday mornings we take a great deal of time to look at passages of Scripture and their context, and we should. And last Sunday morning I mentioned this to you, that each time we come to a passage of Scripture, and if you are fed up with me saying this, please forgive me, we look at the historical context. And we know that Peter is writing somewhere between the year 55 AD and 65 AD. It may be a few years either way, but around that time. We also know that as he's writing, it's helpful to know the historical context. He's probably writing from the city of Rome, although New Testament scholars can't say definitively, but the evidence is reasonable to suggest that. And after you look at the historical context, we deal with theological content, and then we look at the literary structure of a passage. In other words, what is the wording What does it mean? Is he speaking metaphorically? Is he speaking in a literal manner? And so all of those questions run through our minds. And we know, of course, as we said last week, if you look at the bottom right-hand side of the map, you'll find Jerusalem, and as you travel north through Syria, Seleucia, Antioch, up and round the corner to Tarsus, and go north from Tarsus, you'll find Cappadocia, and then Galatia, if you go northwest, and then again Bithynia, And then if you head east along the coast, you'll find Pontus. This is the region that Peter was writing to. Smallish congregations scattered around this area. And we often spend time looking at their historical context. Because we've done that earlier in this series, I'm not going to do that. But I am going to do something that's a little different. Something that we don't usually do. And rather than look at their historical context, I want to look at 
our contemporary context. Because here we are with one foot in a metaphorical sense, that's the literary structure part, in 2020 still. We're about five and a half, almost six weeks into a new year. Most of us, I think, are glad that 2020 is behind us. And we're looking forward. Many of us looking forward to having vaccination for COVID-19. Some of us already have had our first shot. Some of us our second. And then we're looking forward to a return to normality. In our minds, we're looking forward to perhaps some of our children graduating school and high school and college later in the year. Some of us are planning family weddings. Others are looking forward to summer vacation. And we're so grateful that the past is now beginning to slip behind us and we move forward. And we find ourselves in these early weeks of a new year, one foot in the past, the other moving forward. And we have this junction of past and future together. And that's our personal context. But what about our context as a society, a city? As a city, we know many things about Greenville. We know it's the economic and population centre of a 10-county region along the I-85 corridor connecting Atlanta and Charlotte. The population of more than 1.4 million. The Greenville County population is around 500,000. That's our city context. Top 10 American downtown cities by according to Forbes magazine. We were in that top 10. The 2020 Condé Nast Traveller magazine were rated number 6 best small city in the United States. According to Entrepreneur magazine, we were rated top 10 places to start a business. Our major business assets include Michelin American Research and Development Corporation, BMW North American Manufacturing, Clemson International Center for Automotive Research, GE Power Systems, First Advanced Research and Development Facility, Duke Energy are very busy here, Greenville Tech Center for Manufacturing Innovation. There is a lot going on in Greenville. That's our context. Whenever a city is growing and developing at this rate, we are moving forward in education and business and medicine and law, scientific development, theatre, arts. It is a thriving, busy city, a wonderful, exciting place to be, a great place to raise a family. When I have family coming from Scotland and we walk down Main Street on Friday night, it's a very relaxed, family-friendly atmosphere, and they love to come. It is a wonderful city. It still has much of the old southern charm, although I suspect we're beginning to lose a little of it, but it's still there. It has the very best the South has to offer. And having painted the picture of our personal context and our city context, here's my question. It's a question that Paul was asking his first century readers in Cappadocia, Bithynia, Asia, and so on. 
in the midst of living in these cities, in the midst of building a family and a home, in the midst of developing a career, as he writes in the first century, he does to the 21st century as well, what kind of people do you want to be? Who do you want to become? Amidst all of the growth and the hustle and bustle and excitement of a major 21st century city, the question is equally applicable to us. Who do you want to be? What kind of people? What kind of city? What kind of state? What kind of nation do we want to become? Now this morning as we go further and further into this passage, one of the things that Peter emphasizes again and again and again and again is this. As you live out your faith in the busyness and the messiness of everyday life, who are you becoming? Are you overcoming the challenges and difficulties and situations that arise from time to time. Are you enjoying the Lord's blessing, His answered prayer, His forgiveness, His renewing and refreshing touch on your life? Who are you becoming? And that's why as we begin this passage at verse 8, he says, Finally, all of you, Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called. What a wonderful verse to remind us of who God is calling us to be. And you might be saying, okay, Richard, I think I agree with you. Uh, I certainly agree in principle. But hold on a second. Richard, do you mind if I push back a little this morning? Do you mind if I kind of interrupt your train of thought and say, I absolutely agree in principle. I like everything that Peter has written there. But do you honestly expect us to live like this? Really? Richard, that's all you've got? Join hands, make a circle, sing kumbaya. Is that what you're asking me to do? Live in harmony, be sympathetic, live as brothers, be compassionate. Richard, have you not been awake this last year? When we have gone through... A season that is more politically divided than any in living memory. And those we vehemently disagree with, culturally, socially, politically. That's your answer? Be sympathetic, live as brothers, be compassionate. and Really? That's what you're asking us? And here's the problem. When Peter is writing, he writes, finally, all of you, all of you. As Christian people, we don't get to pick and choose the passages of Scripture that we obey. We may get to pick and choose those we like. And we tend not to like the ones that really challenge us. The ones that dig down deep to those 
dark recesses of the soul and challenge us and say, is this who you are? Is this who you are becoming? Or is it fine Sunday morning, but Monday morning we can live any old way we want? Look at it again. Finally, all of you. You may be saying, Richard, that's only for you Presbyterians. I'm a former Baptist or Methodist or Episcopal. I don't have to be. I don't have to follow that. Really? Come on. All of you live in harmony with one another. It becomes a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? We don't pick and choose. Here is Peter challenging his first century readers and also our 21st century folks to do the daily demanding hard work of discipleship, of living out your faith day by day by day in the messiness and busyness and distraction of everyday life. In a culture and society where over the last few years, animosity, hostility, personal loathing and political expediency seems to be the order of the day. And he's saying, be radically different. Radically different. Compassionate. Live in harmony. Be sympathetic. Live as brothers. Be humble. Do not repay evil with evil. And here it comes, insult with insult, but with blessing, because to that you were called. How do we respond as Christians? Now, we live in a nation, and we've mentioned this several times in the past. Charlie touched on it about three or four weeks ago. We looked at it towards the end of May, early June last year on a Sunday morning. That as a nation, we have contrasting views. We're entitled to have contrasting views. You will see those contrasting views come out tonight in the Super Bowl when the Kansas City Chiefs go up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You'll see contrasting views. But when contrasting views morph into personal loathing, hatred, and animosity, we've gone too far, too far. We're consistently taught by our contemporary culture that if we disagree with someone, we hate them. And it's simply not true. We've also been taught by our contemporary culture that if we love someone, we agree with absolutely everything they do. And it's simply not true. And as Christian people, we can take a stand and say we absolutely refuse to go down the road of animosity, hostility, and personal loathing. We will not go there. Neither will we say blessings on every new fad or fancy in our culture and our society. And we shouldn't. Because we're called to live holy lives in obedience to his love and his grace. That's what we're seeing here. Contrasting views against personal conflict. I think most of us know it's easy to hate. It's easy to attack. It's easy to reject. 
It's easy to find ourselves living off the parasitic pathological sins of suspicion and criticism and hatred and personal loathing. So easy. And boy, does it feel good when we put them in their place. That's not what we're called to. If you're saying, Richard, listen, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I see it from the passage. But quite honestly, if I don't take a stand, how is someone going to know there is another view? If I'm not forceful, if I'm not willing to make my point, how am I ever going to be the person I want to be? How are we ever going to have the society and community and culture that we're supposed to have? Well... Peter reminds us of how it's possible to live for Christ and live in righteousness. And he says, but in your hearts, notice that, set apart Christ as Lord. There is step one. Step one right there. Set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. Then you will find his leading and guiding and directing. And it's awfully hard to set apart Christ as Lord when you hate And feed off suspicion and animosity and personal loathing. Give it up. Put it to one side. Refuse to go there. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Look at the end. Gentleness and respect. Now, Peter, of course, is writing about giving an answer when folks ask you about your faith. That's the primary application there. Be gentle, be gracious. Talk about how your faith impacts you and transforms you and influences your life and is changing you into the person he's calling you to be. But the secondary application is, of course, equally applicable to our culture and our society and our political discourse is equally applicable. But it begins, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. That's where it begins. Now some of you, of course, are saying, Richard, hold on. Let me push back again. But before you do, please let me say this. I'm not asking anyone Please hear me, because I'll get the emails tomorrow morning, and I want you to remember this part every bit as much as what I've said already. I'm not asking you to give up deeply held political convictions. Neither am I asking you to give up deeply held Christian convictions. I would never do that. But what I am asking you to do is to take those convictions and as you interact and engage with family, friends, society, political issues, cultural issues, social issues, ask who are we becoming? What kind of people do we want to be? What kind of nation do we want to become? And then step forward and make your case in a loving, gracious, gentle way. And you will say, Richard, I've tried it. It doesn't work. Really? Really? Church has been around 2,000 years. Do you think it failed after Peter? No. 
when we step back from the abyss of those parasitic, pathological sins of hatred and suspicion and blame and animosity, cynicism. Refuse to go down that road saying we are better than this and do so with gentleness and respect, with empathy and sympathy. What a difference that makes doing the daily hard work of discipleship. It is not easy, but that's what we are called to. That's what we are called to. Refusing to give in to the dark, toxic discontent of hatred. Let me pause for a second and remind you of one of the great books of American literature. To Kill a Mockingbird has been a favorite for so many of us for several decades now. And most of us, of course, have read it or seen the movie with Gregory Peck, who did just an outstanding job. And about two-thirds of the way through the movie, and you will remember this, Tom Robinson is on trial for his life for assault. And Tom is in a local jail, and Atticus Finch, one of the main heroes, he goes down and sits outside the jail in a chair reading a book. Hold that scene in your mind. The other hero of the story, of course, is Jean Louise, known, of course, to her family and her friends as Scout. She's five years old. The entire book is about the fun and adventure Jean Louise has with her friends, her family, going off to school for the first time, her little neighborhood and her town. She's an older brother, Jem, who's 10 or 11 at the time. And it's a wonderfully written book and well worth reading again and again and again. And I know that when I first moved to the South, I read it several times because not only did I enjoy the book, I was able in my mind to say, there are people in this book I know, I know. It's a wonderful story. Go back to the scene with Atticus sitting outside the jail. And as the story develops, several cars and trucks go around the town square, then pull up outside the jail and several men get out, one of them at least, I think, carrying a shotgun. And Atticus gets up off his chair, book in hand, and he walks over and he welcomes them and says, Good evening, can I help you? And the men say, Is Tom Robinson in there? This is a mob. A mob intent on dragging Tom Robinson out of prison in order to hang him. That's what's going on. And as this takes place, Scout and Jem, six and eleven, see their father, they run over to him. Jean Louise, eight six, is oblivious of what's actually happening. Jem, age 11, he's a sense that there's tension in this conversation, that this is not normal. And Scout kind of makes her way through the legs of the adults to get close to her dad, and then she recognizes one of the men. Let me read you what happens. Hey, Mr. Cunningham. Don't you remember me, Mr. Cunningham? I'm Jean Louise Finch. 
You brought us some hickory nuts one early morning. Remember? We had a talk. I went and got my daddy to come out and thank you. I go to school with your boy. I go to school with Walter. He's a nice boy. Tell him hey from me, won't you? And there's silence. There's no response. Mr. Cunningham doesn't know what to do. The men who are there intent on violence, they don't know what to do. Here's a mob caught up in hatred and violence. And a child inserts herself in the middle of it all. They're caught up in the hatred and emotion of the moment. And she's just being a child. And Scout turns to her dad and says, Atticus, I was just saying to Mr. Cunningham. And the men stare at each other again. And then she realizes something's not right. And she says, what's the matter? I sure meant no harm, Mr. Cunningham. And at that point, Mr. Cunningham remembers he's a father, a dad, a man. And it took a little child in all of her innocence to remind him of that. And he looks at the other and he says, let's go. And they disperse and go home. No longer a mob filled with hatred. No longer a mob intent and violence. But dads, fathers, friends who live in a community. They're being asked, who are you becoming? Who do you want to be? What do you long for as you build a home, as you prayerfully raise your family? Who do you want to be? And at the very end of the movie, there's that almost final scene. Well, not quite. Final scene in the courthouse, certainly. When Atticus is gathering up all of his papers. And Jem and Scout have managed to sneak in and go up the stairs in the public gallery. And they're watching what happens. And as Atticus picks up his briefcase and walks towards the back, an older man leans down and says... To Jean Louise, stand up. Your father's passing by. When we do the hard work of daily discipleship, when we're involved in the messiness and busyness and distraction of the situations that challenge us and threaten to overwhelm us, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. That's what makes the difference. Be prepared to give an answer by all means to those who ask for the hope that you have, but with gentleness and respect, with humility. And I wonder... If in subsequent years, children and grandchildren will look at us and say, there's a man, there's a woman, there's a mom, a dad, who lived for us in such a way as he, as she, set apart Christ as Lord and lived a life of gentleness and respect absolutely determined, resolved never to give in to the dark 
toxic discontent and pathology of hatred and personal loathing. We are not called to that. May God seal his word to our hearts this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of scripture today. Thank you that it challenges us in our 21st century in a busy, growing, thriving city, living busy, growing lives, planning for the rest of this year. Father, enable us this week and in all the months to come to do the hard work of living out our faith, refusing to give in and to have a fresh focus for a new beginning. Oh, Father, bless us, please, as we seek to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.